Peace be upon you. So one of the proofs that's repeatedly mentioned in the Quran is that of mountains. In Surah 13 verse 3 it reads, He is the one who constructed the earth and placed on it mountains and rivers. And from the different kinds of fruits he made them into pairs, males and females. The night overtakes the day. These are solid proofs for people who think. When was the last time we stopped and we contemplated the formation of the mountains? How did they come to be? Or what would life have been like if mountains never existed? Or tomorrow if they were to cease to exist? In Surah 88 verse 17 through 20 it reads, Why do they not reflect on the camels and how they are created, and the sky and how it is raised, and the mountains and how they are constructed, and the earth and how it is built? You know, God willing, by reflecting and thinking about how these creations of mountains were formed, and what benefits they provide us, it would allow us to become more appreciative of God's infinite number of blessings. All these things we take for granted. Up until the 1980s, scientists were unsure how mountains were formed. Even today, there is still much we need to learn about this process. But from what we know today, in order to understand how mountains are formed, it helps to understand the composition of planet Earth. If we were to take planet Earth and to cut it into a cross-section, what we would see is the center of planet Earth is about 4,000 miles below the surface. Meaning that if you started drilling from the surface of planet Earth, you'd have to drill 4,000 miles before you reach the center. To put this in perspective, the most we've ever drilled to date has been about 7.5 miles. And that's not very far. So we've never been able to see the inner core of planet Earth. But using seismic technology and also... Um, the magnetic field, we can tell that the inner core of planet Earth constitutes about 20% of the radius, which is about 760 miles. And the temperature of the core of the Earth is hotter than the surface of the Sun. If we go one level above that, we reach Earth's outer core. And this is a fluid layer. It's about 40% of the radius of planet Earth. And if you go one level above that, you have Earth's mantle, which is also about 40% of the radius, but constitutes 84% of Earth's volume. So you think, okay, what's left? 20% inner core, 40% outer core, 40% uh, the uh, mantle, that's about 100%. And the last layer is the Earth's crust. This is where we live, this is where we reside, this is where our entire lives take place, is on this thin layer that's less than 1% of Earth's radius is the Earth's crust. To put in perspective how thin this crust is, take an apple and the skin of the apple is equivalent of the Earth's crust relative to everything that's underneath it. And it's only about 3 miles to 43 miles depending on where you're drilling to get from the Earth's crust over to the mantle of the Earth. And this crust, it floats on top of this liquid mantle. But it's not one solid mass. It's actually broken up into about 7 major plates. And these plates, each year, they shift about one inch, either colliding into one another or drifting apart from one another. And when they collide into one another over the span of millions and millions of years, they form mountains. What happens is one of the plates, the stronger of the plate, will actually peg itself into the mantle of the earth, while the weaker plate will move on top and eventually shift and shift until it gets as tall as Mount Everest. Now, this is fascinating to think because up until the 1980s, until we had satellite technology, we assumed that these structures were fixed. We assumed that the land masses, the mountains were all fixed, but they're all continuously moving over a much longer time horizon. Now, how would anyone have known this without this level of technology? 
But we see in the Quran, in Surah 27, verse 88, it reads, When you look at the mountains, you think that they are standing still, but they are moving like the clouds. Such is the manufacture of God who perfected everything. He is fully cognizant of everything you do. So how awesome that 1400 years ago, inside the Quran, God is telling us that the mountain, the movement of the mountains, the land, is that of like clouds. And you can think of how unconventional this must have sounded, not even 1400 years ago, even 50 years ago, where they believed that all landmass was stagnant, that it didn't move, that there was no thing as plate tectonics or continental drift. But it's even more interesting than that. In Surah 79, verse 30, it reads, He made the earth egg-shaped. And the Arabic is walardi, which means and the earth, ba'ada, after, thalika, that, dahaha, which has more than one meaning. And we're going to get into that. So the word dahaha in Arabic comes from the word for an egg, but specifically an ostrich egg. The earth is not a perfect sphere. It's an obloid spheroid. What that means is that the north and south pole are slightly compressed and the equator is slightly expanded. And that's typically the shape of an egg. But what kind of an ostrich did the Arabs at the time of the revelation of the Quran have among them? Because chickens were not domesticated there. You know, at the time when you said an egg, they had a specific reference to an ostrich egg, but specifically an Arabian ostrich. But sadly, that animal, the Arabian ostrich, went extinct in the early 20th century. So you would think we would not know what an Arabian ostrich egg would look like. But by God's leave, one of these eggs has been preserved and we have on display today. And it came over a fluke where the poet C.M. Dowdy discovered one of these eggs and he inscribed something for a friend who is an archaeologist, T.E. Lawrence. Now you can go online and look at this egg. And out of all eggs, this is the most obloid spheroid egg I've ever seen. And the dimensions are very comparable to what you would see in planet Earth. But it's even more interesting than that. The fact that God is describing that the planet Earth is egg-shaped or as in like an egg. Now the second meaning of the haha, it means to spread it. So you say, okay, why does this word have these multi-meanings? The way Arabic roots typically work is that they are constituted by one general theme. And then from that theme, all these derivative meanings uh, come from. So an ostrich, specifically an Arabian ostrich, when it lays its eggs, what it does is it spreads out the sand and it places its eggs in there. That's the reason the word means egg-shaped, as in you're making this nest for your egg. But then also it means uh, to spread as if the Arabian ostrich was spreading its its um, uh, nest. Now, what does this have to do with the creation of planet Earth and mountains? Well, when people describe the plate tectonics of Earth or continental drift, the way that they describe it is they say that imagine you have an egg that's cracked. So you have these different cracked portions of the egg, but the egg itself is still intact. And that's how continental drift operates, that you have this liquid layer underneath you have this lubrication that allows these uh, the shells, as if the crust, to move. Now, again, if you take a cross-sectional cut of an egg, you see something that resembles very similar to the cross-sectional cut of planet Earth. You have the inner core, which is the yolk. Then above that, you have the, uh, the egg white. And then above that, you have this thin layer for the crust, or in the case of the egg, the shell. So God, in this one simple word, is describing to us so much of planet Earth. Now, some people 
they believe this verse, it only means in the sense of uh, signifying that the earth is round. And while it does that, even the word al-ardi, which means the earth, has a meaning of being round. People knew for generations and generations that the earth was round. What made this significant was it wasn't until we had satellites that we realized that the earth was not a perfect sphere, that it was slightly compressed on the north and south pole and expanded along the equator, just like an opaline spheroid or an Arabian ostrich egg is. You know, all this packed into a book that was revealed 1400 years ago to give us today certainty that this book did not come from a human being living in the desert, that it was inspired directly from God, the creator of the universe. Now, we're still struggling to understand the full implications of plate tectonics. One of the debates that's going on is, is it necessary for uh, life to sustain if we did not have plate tectonics? Now, one of the interesting findings is the planet Earth is the only planet in the entire solar system that has plate tectonics that has the shifting crust. The other planets, for the most part, they have one solid crust that's the uh, the surface. And so the question was, is planet Earth the only planet that has mountains? And that's not the case. If you don't have plate tectonics, you can still have mountains, but you're only limited to one kind of mountain, and that's of a volcano. Now, the mountain, the largest mountain in the entire solar system that we know of is on Mars. It's called Mount Olympus. It's twice as tall as Mount Everest. It's 72,000 feet above Mars's surface. Now the question is, how did this mountain get so extravagantly large? Well, what happens is with plate tectonics, when there's a crack in the Earth's crust and the magma from the mantle lifts up, that's where a volcano occurs. But as these plates are shifting, eventually that crack gets sealed up. But this isn't the case for Mars. In Mars, not only is it one solid uh, crust where there's a crack, you're going to get perpetual magma coming out, continuously building up this volcano. But in addition, because Mars has a lower uh, gravitational pull, the height of a mountain can get much taller than it can on planet Earth. Planet Earth, as the mountain gets uh, bigger and bigger, the gravity is actually going to pull it back towards the, uh, the surface of the Earth. So that's the reason that in the current state of affairs, it would be impossible to have a mountain as tall as Mount Olympus on Mars on Earth. So while volcanoes are good for forming land masses, especially in a place like Earth where it's covered predominantly in water, one thing that volcanoes lack is that outside of being able to provide the minerals and nutrients from the, uh, uh, the mantle of the Earth, all those nutrients that are built up in the crust of the Earth, we won't have access to if we were only limited to volcano kinds of mountains. The other forms of mountains that are designed is that when these plates collide, one of the crusts is going to be lifted up. And this gives us a rich deposit of minerals that are essential for life. But something else interesting happens. The plate that is stronger, that gets pushed into the mantle of the earth, it serves as a kind of a peg into the earth to stabilize things, to make sure that these plates are not constantly shifting, that we're not perpetually being bombarded by earthquakes and unstable terrain. And there's two words in the Quran that are used for the word for mountain. One is al-Jabal, which just means mountain, and the other word is rawasia, which means a stabilizer. In Surah 15 verse 19, it says, As for the earth, we constructed it and placed on it stabilizers, mountains, and grew on it a perfect balance of everything. So 
what happens is when this plate goes inside the mantle of the earth, it's stabilizing planet earth, this crust from being able to shake and tumble. And we see in Surah 78 verse 7, it says the mountains is stabilizers. And in this word, it uses the word awatadan, which means a peg or a stake. And it's describing these mountains in these terms. In 1615, it says, and he placed stabilizers, mountains on earth, lest it tumbles with you, as well as rivers and roads that you may be guided. In Surah 21 verse 31, it says, and we placed on earth stabilizers, lest it tumbles with you, and we placed straight roads therein, that they may be guided. If it wasn't for the sake of these mountains being formed, the plates would constantly be shifting. We would have perpetual earthquakes. The ability of being able to construct tall buildings, to construct roads, all these things that we depend on would be very severely diminished. And this is something, again, we take for granted that God created the structure, that the mountains are serving as if they are stakes in the ground, holding the crust together despite the fact that they're separate pieces, each floating on their own above the earth's mantle. You know, are we stopping and reflecting and thinking how awesome this is? Now, one of the other aspects is that when the earth, the, the crust that gets pushed up, that creates, forms these mountains, when rain comes, what happens is that as it's coming from the coast, and if you look, most of the mountain ranges are along the coast. So water is coming in and it's pushing, the, the mountains are pushing these clouds up. And as the clouds are getting pushed up, the air cools and it condenses and it forms clouds that pushes rain. Now, when the rain comes, it's washing away all these minerals, all these elements from the, the, the mountains into the rivers, into the oceans, and planting the essential ingredients for life. That if it wasn't for these mountains, it's questionable if we'd even be able to have life without these essential ingredients. You know, would life be able to flourish? The other thing that's fascinating is, so when the clouds come, by the time there's something that's called the uh, uh, rain shadow effect. And what happens is if you look at most of these tall mountain ranges, on one side is going to be lush, tons of tree, tons of vegetation, uh, you know, rivers and stuff. And then the other side is going to be like a desert. And this allows for a mixed climate, which is, again, essential for life because not all life exists on one climate. And one other interesting thing is that when it describes the mountains as stabilizers, more than just the crust of the earth is it stabilizing. It's actually stabilizing the temperature as well. There's something called the carbon cycle, where carbon dioxide, which heats up planet earth, is when rain comes and it washes the carbon out of the earth, it gets stored inside the, uh, the, the, the mountains, gets washed away back into the rivers, into the oceans. In essence, it's keeping the earth at a stable temperature, all part of God's manufacture. And you, even the winds... You know, so much of our wind patterns are determined by the mountains that if it wasn't for the mountains deflecting these winds, you know, we would have a lot more chaotic weather patterns in our uh, atmosphere. Things would not be as stable on planet Earth had it not been for these, uh, these mountains. Then in addition, this change in temperatures, this change in climate that's necessary uh, from the construction of mountains allow us to have these vastly different landscapes and different fruits and different uh, vegetation. In Surah 35 verse 27 it says, do you not realize that God sends down from the sky water whereby we produce fruits of various colors? Even the mountains have different colors. The peaks are white or red or some other color and the ravens are black. You know, without mountains, there will be more uniform distribution of rainfall. Aesthetically, over the time, 
plate movements together with geological processes have created some of nature's most magnificent scenery. You look at all these, you know, uh, desktop photos, uh, that are stocked for uh, computer backgrounds and so many of them are these majestic pictures of mountains that this is something that god is blessing us with to see whether we're appreciative or unappreciative do we take this stuff for granted or do we reflect back on our creator and what a beautiful scenario he created how he constructed all these things for us to be able to sustain for us to be able to thrive here on planet earth it's argued that without plate tectonics, without these variations in mountains, if we were only limited to volcanoes like that of Mars, we wouldn't have life. And if tomorrow the mountains were to cease to exist, what we would see is that eventually all the plants would die. And without the plants, it would go down the whole chain of living things and we'd probably lose all life on Earth. That the bedrock would be ground away by storms. That Earth would become smaller and smaller without plants and would eventually lose its atmosphere, making earth look not much different than mars for something that again we take for granted these beautiful majestic structures that god created that provide us stability that do all these wondrous things for us that if we just stop and we reflect it allows us to draw more appreciation for all of god's infinite number of blessings now there's something else that happens in the sense of stability right now there's a debate that's taking place in hawaii it has to do with its tallest mountain called Mauna Kea, which is located on the big island now, this mountain is 13,800 feet above sea level. But if you're to measure it from the base, which is 20,000 feet below sea level, all the way to the top, this would be constituted as the tallest mountain in the world. Taller than Everest. Everest is 29,000 feet, but that's 29,000 feet from sea level. So this mountaintop, coincidentally enough, it's considered sacred by the people of Hawaii because you think about what happens when you're on top of a mountain that it's a portal to the rest of the universe it shows the insignificance of man it shows how vast things are but there's another benefit at the top of the mountains are some of the most ideal locations for observatories to peer into the rest of the universe and currently there's 13 observatories at the top of this mountain that allow us to peer into the rest of the universe and understand where is it that we came from? Where is it that we're going? All these foundational questions of why are we here? Now, this location at the top of mountaintops, it's fascinating that it's considered sacred by both the spiritual and the scientific, that both parties realize the benefit of having such a location, that because you're at the top of the mountain, the light pollution is low, the, uh, you're above the clouds, there's less interference in being able to look into the cosmos. And this is something every single human being can appreciate. But have we stopped and thought about what a blessing it is that God constructed this for us? That God allowed these locations where an individual, irrespective of their understanding, of their belief, they can go there and feel closer to God. That it allows them to realize how insignificant they are, how small they are, how amazing and grand the universe is, and the God who created all this. Now, in Surah 41, verse 10, it says, He placed on earth stabilizers, made it productive, and he calculated its provisions in four days to satisfy the needs of all its inhabitants. Now, when we look at the Arabic, it says, Rawasiya, which means, again, stabilizers or mountains, min, from, Faugia, which means above it, Wabaraka, which means he blessed, Fiha, therein. 
The way I understand it is God is saying that he blessed the top of the mountaintops. Now, it's translated, it's made it productive. The way I understand this is that when something is blessed, it's going to benefit everyone, irrespective of their background, their understanding. It's something that, again, like the sun, it shines on the believer and the disbeliever. The crops, it feeds the believer and the disbeliever. The mountaintops, they basically serve the believer and the disbeliever. We all benefit from this, that God made this land blessed. When you go on top of a mountain, it's a humbling experience. And this is one of the greatest things as far as how mountains serve as stabilizers. You know, mountains keep people balanced. If you think you're so great, go spend a time at the top of the mountain and realize how small we are, how precious life is. And you're able to peer into the portal of the universe and see all these amazing billions and billions and billions of galaxies and stars and heavenly bodies that will dwarf anything here on planet Earth. I recently watched the uh, documentary Free Solo, where it tracks this climber. He's a free solo climber, no ropes, no nothing, uh, Alex Hamilton. And he's climbing El Capitan in Yosemite. And you see that this, when you look at the video, this tiny, tiny, it looks like an ant on top of this gigantic mountain. What a humbling experience. By God's leave, I was once able to go to uh, Yosemite and did the uh, Half Dome. And there's a portion of Half Dome on the top where you're walking along on these cables. And from a distance, when you look at it and you see the human being on top of this giant rock, you realize how small we are. This is how mountains are serving as stabilizers because it keeps us humble. In Surah 17, verse 37, it says, You shall not walk proudly on earth. You cannot bore through the earth, nor can you be as tall as the mountains. You know, when we go face to face with a mountain, we become uh, reality sets in. We realize we're not all that great. We're insignificant. We're tiny. The God who created all this is the one that we should be giving all praise to, all reverence to. In Surah 7, verse 171, we read about Moses and the humbling experience they had. It says, we raised the mountain above them like an umbrella, and they thought it was going to fall on them. You shall uphold what we have given you strongly and remember the content thereof, that you may be saved. God is using these mountains to put us in our place. And when you compare the mountains, compared to the rest of the heavenly bodies, they're insignificant. But for us to come into physical proximity with a mountain and see just how grand it is and being able to peer from the top down and seeing how insignificant we are or being able to stare out in space and see these heavenly bodies and be able to see the Milky Way galaxy and all this that God created, it's supposed to give us a sign of reverence to make us more appreciative of all these infinite blessings that God has given us. You know, God tells us a lot about the Day of Judgment, that one of the signs, one of the things that's going to take place on the Day of Judgment is that the mountains are going to be wiped off, that they're going to be turned into fluffy wool, that they're going to be exploded. Now you think of something so grand, so vast, it seems immovable. God is going to make it disappear in an instant, and it's all going to be even. We're all going to be on the same even playing field. The only thing that's going to distinguish us on that day is going to be our righteousness. Now, our purpose in this world is to be redeemed back into God's kingdom, into God's graces. And we're only going to be able to do that by worshiping God alone. And one of the last idols we all have to overcome is that of our own ego, to think that we know better than God. And mountains serve as a purpose to keep us humble, to allow us to know we're not that great. 
and realize that the mountains themselves have submitted wholeheartedly to God alone. In Surah 22 verse 18 it reads, Do not realize that the God prostrates everyone in the heavens and the earth, and the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the trees and the animals and many people. Many others among the people are committed to doom. Whomever God shames, none will honor him. Everything is in accordance with God's will. These structures, these that appear immovable, they've submitted wholeheartedly to God. It says in another verse that the mountains tremble at the presence of God. That when God physically tried to manifest himself, the mountain crumbled. This is who we're going to be facing on the Day of Judgment, our Creator. And if we don't do the things to grow and develop our soul, to kill our egos, we're not going to be able to meet face-to-face with our Creator. We're going to be running away to hell. So we see that the mountains serve so many functions. They allow life to flourish here on earth. They keep our climate stable. They allow the formation of different geographies, amazing sceneries, a portal into the universe. So many of these infinite blessings, but the one that's the most crucial is that they keep us humble. They let us know that we are so small, that the God who created these mountains, that created the earth, that created the galaxy, that created the universe, that we have a destined appointment to meet our maker and to see did we spend this life wisely? Did we do good deeds? Did we worship God alone? Did we do righteousness? And inshallah, next time you look at a mountain, and hopefully we can have more appreciation for God, our creator. Inshallah, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.